The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? America, you've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about Kumbaya and Flat Earth insanity. Stand-up comedy? You want stand-up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit-down comedy. It's time for Coffee with the Dog. You make me laugh. Oh, I love those sound effects, baby. You can feel those hits. Uh, good morning, folks. Well, is it a good morning? Not if you're um, still breathing the crap from Canada that's blowing down. I'm still waiting for summer, and I'm doing coffee, and I hope you are. All right, guys, knock it off. Oh, that man. Anyway, good morning, folks. It is Wednesday, uh, June 7th, 2023. I hope you're having a wonderful morning wherever you are here in New York. We're still, um, still in a bit of a haze of weird kind of smoky chemical smell. You know, it's a, a a wildfire that's burning up in Canada. I don't know why it would smell chemical, but it does. It smells like chemicals. It smells like, um, I don't know, like a bad, uh, one of those fake logs that you get to burn in the fireplace. You just get that really weird chemical kind of smell with it. Anyway, and still waiting for summer. You know, uh, interesting enough, the flat earth thing in in there. Last night, I saw Anthony Cumia, my arch enemy, <laughs> who doesn't even really know I exist, uh, arguing with people about flat earth. But in such a lame way that it it's no wonder that the flat earth people are growing in numbers on it. They really are growing in numbers. I don't know that that's definitely true. I think it's probably leveled off to like a certain level of idiocy. But if they are indeed growing in numbers, it would be no wonder because the people who are presenting the globe side of it are the stupidest people in the world. (laughs) They have no idea about why they believe we live on a globe. It's just because teacher told them so. And when struggling to debate the idiots of the flat earth movement, they come up really weak and lame. Now, somebody presented him with a map of flat earth with the wall, you know, the Antarctic 
seawall around the whole thing. And he was talking about, well, it takes, you know, we, we know how long it takes to circumnavigate the globe. And uh, if you were going to drive around or fly around the Antarctic seawall, it would take much longer than that. So there's, a, there's your argument. Hello, you can't use circumnavigate the globe when arguing with flat earth people. You have to start from very simple terms. They have a map that doesn't have scale on it. You know, scale, when you go to a map and you see one inch equals how many miles, that's called scale. And the map they present, the lame map they present, is ridiculous without any scale at all. You can't tell what a mile is. You can't tell, you know, you have no idea the length of things. So south, the south the southern hemisphere is we know the distances between places. And if we can get them to commit to scale, we can prove, first of all, that, that map is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense at all because we know the distances. And if you, you break it out in, into there, whatever, it will be inconsistent with the facts that we know. That's where you start with them. You don't start about circumnavigating a globe because they don't believe in a globe. It's like the, you know, the argument about proving the existence of God, but you have to go to the Bible. Well, if you already believe in the Bible, you don't need to be proven. The existence of God doesn't need to be proven to you. You're already a believer. Hello? Uh, just so frustrating. Anyway, uh, so I'm, you know... I caught a little bit of that. It was slightly amusing for a little while, but and I did not chime in because I don't want to. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to get caught in that web of flat Earth ridiculousness anymore. Other thing uh, today, we are going to have uh, an author, Ian O'Connor, who has written a book about the Kennedy assassination, which we are still. I am still obsessed with, and I think it is the root of all dumb conspiracies that followed. Uh, and I'm not saying that the idea that <laughs> Lee Harvey, Lee Oswald, it's funny how every time they they there's one of these guys who was a bad guy, they want to put in the middle name. He always went by Lee Oswald, but it's the minute he killed Kennedy or shot always or as part of a uh, conspiracy to kill Kennedy and was pinned as the guy, they had to put a middle name in there. Uh, and it, it's true with um, with all these guys. Uh, Thomas, I think Anthony Valvey, that name uh, ring a bell to most people? Probably not. I'm going to ask Ian if he knows about that guy. Uh, and uh, he's got to be with us. I got to get him in and out. And you know he's waiting in the, in the green room right now. I got to get him in, in and out pretty quick, according to his publishers. Jackie Martling. Uh, Jackie, the joke man, Martling, will be following. He'll be out with us at 930. I'm going to take a really quick break and tell you about Koa Coffee and be back and introduce you to Ian. And we'll talk about his book called The Pegasus Directive. Excuse me. I'm still a little sleepy here. The Pegasus Directive. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk to him in just one minute. Stay with us. Get yourself some Koa Coffee and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Koa Coffee. If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of aloha. Koa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, 
expertly roasted and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality and their awards proven. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. Yeah. Get yourself some good Koa Coffee. And you'll love it. Like I love it. You're listening to Coffee with a Dog on Live 365. Mind Dog Radio. Okie dokie. Last, was it last night? Night before last. Um, I caught something uh, online somewhere. It is a new piece, but it's a long piece, by Oliver Stone. Uh, The original... uh, (laughs) conspiracy theorist about about, uh, the JFK assassination. And he's got a new piece out. I don't know what it's called. I've been like reliving it or re-examining. But it's very informative, far more uh, fact-based and um, interesting, (laughs) far more interesting than the actual movie JFK that he put out. And it's got some really good information in there. Uh, My guest today and this is the, the thing that puzzles me. Why Why can't we let this go? Will we ever let this go? Will we ever really know the truth? Uh, maybe, maybe not. My guest today uh, has written a book about, it's a fictional book, but a, with a lot of historical accuracy. It's called The Pegasus Directive. Ian O'Connor is a retired U.S. Air Force colonel and a recognized expert in the field of national security management. This background serves him well as a foundation for his novels. He's about to release this new book. I'm, I think it's probably released already. If I have a picture of it, it's probably released already. On the Jack Kennedy assassination, it's fiction but full of historical ac- accuracy. The Pegasus Directive focuses on who really killed President John F. Kennedy, and all the fiendish machinations uh, behind the assassination. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Colonel Ian O'Connor. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I I have to start by saying uh, I'm looking out at 80-degree weather, beautiful, clear, no haze coming down from Canada. Life is good. Wow. Thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, well, hopefully we'll we'll get the haze to blow away today, and summer will finally start here. I've been waiting for summer. It just doesn't happen. It's, 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 it's like a it's like a bad bowel movement. <laughs> no happen. comment. <laughs> anyway, uh, the book, the Pegasus Directive. Now it's full of. Uh, historical accuracy but it's it's fiction and the problem i've always had with historical fiction is i find it really difficult to know where the lines are drawn between what's fictional and what's what's true do you make that clear in the novel um i do mix it up uh i make people think uh this has been a story as you know that's been 
festering for 60 years. This is the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. And remarkably, over 70% of the world's population still doesn't know the answer. It, it's, a, it's a remarkable fact. Do, do you, I, I hate to put you on the spot already, do you uh, believe you actually know uh, who killed Kennedy? I speculate, uh, and my speculation goes back many years when I was a young Air Force intelligence officer, 1972, 1974, where I originally approached this story. I sent it to uh, the, the various people in New York. They held on to it for several months, sent it back and said, because of the political climate at the time, we were in the midst of Watergate. Uh, a lot of the world players were still alive. And uh, they said, uh, this is a, a story we don't want to touch at this time. Wow. The years went by. Uh, I dusted it off. My writing was a heck of a lot better. The story improved. And uh, with the 60th anniversary coming up, I said, you know what? It's time to present a historical, fictional thriller to make people think that maybe we don't really know who killed JFK, but Mr. O'Connor's theory is as good or better than anything we've heard so far. I don't, uh, I think it's it's for sure we don't really know. Uh, but I do, I, I'm kind of, I've gone back and forth on this. I do think Lee, uh, Lee Oswald played a major role, and I do think he was at least one of the gunmen. Uh, I agree the, wholeheartedly. Okay. He was he, set up as a patsy. He was never meant to shoot Kennedy. He was told don't shoot Kennedy. Fire three shots in the air. We have assassins that will do the job. The man didn't listen, and history shows us what happened to Lee Harvey Oswald. Wow! Don't don't give away the whole book. I will not. <laughs> wow! Wow! That that's the first time I've heard that. Uh, so I, it you know, nothing surprises me. Now uh, I mentioned before in before I introduced you, uh, I think his name Thomas Andrew Val uh, Valvey or Anthony Valvey. Does that name ring a bell? Is this the Canadian author? Uh, it was the guy who was, no, this was a guy who was in Chicago, another Lee Harvey, a Marine who was a sharpshooter who was in Chicago a week before supposedly sent by the CIA to kill Kennedy and that because they got wind of it and they canceled that trip to Chicago. And, but it, it, it always. I do remember that now. Yes, I do. Yeah. And the similarities between him and Oswald were remarkable in that, you know, he, they wanted him to go to uh, Russia uh, and, and fake the, uh, you know, defection and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, wow, this is, it, it, at that point, it starts to feel like the CIA was definitely involved. Now, without giving away too much in the book, do you, do you uh, go there as far as um, who, was, who, were the, who were the brain power behind all this? Thing? I do not. I do not for a second go to the CIA. I don't go to the DIA. I don't go to the Chicago mob. I don't go to Fidel Castro. I don't go to the New Orleans mob. Um, I, I, no, these are speculations that ran rampant for years and years and years. And if you'll remember just a couple of nights ago, John, uh, excuse me, Robert F. Kennedy, who's now running for president, 
he insists that his uncle and his father were killed by the CIA. Right, yeah. That's well, a, that's he, major. I personally do not believe that. Did they have reason to kill him? Yes. The Kennedys turned against the mob after the father got JFK elected in 1960. And uh, so, yeah, there was some very bad blood there. Do I, I think the CIA was involved? No. I, I'll be honest with you. Um, there is a part, of, an emotional part of me that does not want the CIA to be involved, only because it, it terrifies me to the core that, and it's probably true that the, at least in this sense that the CIA is is not under the control of anyone. They run amok. They they run their own game, and uh, they are not even uh, accountable to the president of the United States. That scares me. That they can you know. So th I have an emotional reason not to want to believe that the CIA was involved. If that makes any sense. So and I agree. There was a lot of bad blood in 1960, 61, 62 against uh, Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles. They were Eisenhower men. And uh, Kennedy didn't trust them. He did not trust the CIA. Right. But do I think they went as far as to uh, to murder the president? Absolutely not. Do you that's think- where my that's where my thriller comes in. I give you the alternative as to who probably was the mastermind. Okay. Uh, do you think that we will ever really no, or will it remain secret for eternity? Well, I'm sure hoping that my book is going to make people stop and say, you know what? Over the past 60 years, this is the best explanation we've ever had as to what happened that day in Dallas in 1963. Well, I look it forward to reading the book. I look forward to reading the book. The uh, The problem, and I'll come back to this, I know I alluded to this in, in as a start, but the problem with, with with people like me is I read historical fiction and then I assume that I know I, when I can't tell the fiction part from the nonfiction part and I will make cases based on what I read and think I'm an expert in it and then and then make a fool of myself in an argument with somebody because I, I believe every word that I forget that it's partly fiction. Let me give you a little bit of food for thought from the book, okay? okay? I'm going to tease you. On November the 22nd this year marks the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. And still these many years later, the three most important questions still being asked is, who killed President John F. Kennedy? How was it accomplished? And why was he killed? The answers came in May 1972 from a Soviet spymaster seeking sanctuary of the Canadian embassy in Rome. He told the ambassador at the time he wished to defect the United States in exchange for perishable information he deemed critical to America's continued well-being. There was just one caveat. He would only surrender to an American agent he knew solely by the code name Pegasus. What he revealed to Pegasus in trade for asylum was deemed so explosive by President Nixon that it has remained among the world's most closely guarded secrets until now. Wow. That's the teaser. Uh, okay. Is Pegasus a real person? Pegasus is an amalgamation of a lot of very real intelligence officers, yes.
Very cool, man. I, I look forward to reading the book. Now, uh, from a business perspective, I'm just uh, curious about this. It seems like it, it probably would be a, a much better marketing move. And I'm not criticizing your decision on this, but I, uh, it seems like it would sell the book a lot better if it came out like October. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Believe me, the book is going to be published on the 21st. And there's going to be a second push in October and November to coincide with the with the assassination. I look Hopefully to with it, yeah. uh, interviews with ABC, NBC, CBS, with blogs. It's being set up by a uh, professional communications firm to do just that. Very cool. I look forward to it. I'm going to show the book one more time before we let you go. I know I have to let you go pretty quick. Uh, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, the book is called The Pegasus Directive. Beautiful, beautiful cover there. Uh, Isn't it wonderful? It yeah. says a picture's worth a thousand words and there's your thousand words. Yeah. You know, I did a, a, a music video based on the Kennedy assassination 40 years ago now. And wow. that a very similar image that starts the uh, the. Uh, the music video so i i naturally love that listen i i wish you great success with this book i hope you know uh i hope it does make people think and keeps us um uh, you know interested in it because i feel like you know we ha we deserve to know the truth it's right? a story that needs to be told right well thank you very much and uh good luck and and, and if likewise thank you for having me have a uh, good day you too bye for now Caught him off in the middle of saying goodbye. Anyway, uh, Ian O'Connor, Ian A. O'Connor, uh, <laughs> and the book is called The Pegasus Directive. Uh, the link is in the description to his website, at the official website where you can find out about all his books. He's got one about time travel. And if you know me and if, if you're... Um, if you're familiar with, with my obsession with time travel, that's a book uh, that I really <laughs> I want to get into as well. But I look forward to getting this book, uh, Pegasus Directive. Uh, again, you know, I'm going to look up this Thomas Valvey guy for you because, um, and I want to I be clear because, you know what, I, I was not, like, taking notes during this thing. Uh, no, that it, maybe it's not Valvi. Ah, or maybe I'm spelling it wrong. Thomas, I thought it was uh, Thomas. You know what, Thomas Valvi? Maybe if I put in uh, Kennedy, maybe I have it wrong. Maybe I have the name wrong, slightly wrong. Thomas Kennedy, Michigan. Ah. I'm going to have to rewatch the whole documentary, folks, just to, or at least get to that part. Uh, but it was a name I had not been familiar with before. Now, uh, Valvi, come on. I'm pretty sure Valvi and Thomas is right. There was an A, maybe it's two. Former agent Kennedy assassination thwarted in Chicago. Here it is Thomas Anthony Valvi. B-A-L-L-V-E-E. -E. Oh, come on, you dopey ads on this internet thing. Uh, November 21st, 2007, President Kennedy was murdered. No, what? That's wrong. President Kennedy was murdered on November 22nd, 1963. Uh, oh, so this article is from, from 2007. Lee Harvey Oswald would never have had the chance to kill Kennedy in Dallas had an assassination plot in Chicago succeeded three weeks earlier. The plot that had been um, uh, mentioned over the years. Now, mentioned over the years by who? I've never heard of it before. Have you? 
Kennedy was due to arrive in Chicago the morning of Saturday, November 2nd, to attend an Army Air Force football game at Soldier Field and ride in a parade. Now, they had Valvi in a building that looked ex- – he started working there six weeks earlier um, in a building that re- uh, looked almost exactly like the Texas Book Depository, and they had him in a six-floor window. What are the odds of that? Ex-Marine sharpshooter gets a job just like Oswald did six weeks before the parade, supposed parade, in a building that was right on the parade route and has a six-floor window at lunchtime. <laughs> what? You know, the odds, and, you know, the old the odds of Oswald having that spot on the parade route and a break at lunchtime just as Kennedy was going to be coming past his window. That feels like uh, probably a little more than just coincidence, right? Uh, anyway, uh, so this Thomas uh, Valvey guy, although police were preparing the line uh, for the motorcade route, Secret Service officials in Chicago were deeply troubled about their visit because of two uh, secret threats. Now, somebody had spilled the beans on this and oh, supposedly and, and alerted the Secret Service. Uh, oh, it's Valley. I'm sorry, not Valley. Valley, V-A-L-L-E-E, which is why I couldn't find it in my original search. Right-wing radical uh, and Kennedy denouncer. Right-wing radical. That's not what I heard about him anyway. I thought he was a, a Marine who had been uh, talking about defecting to Russia. It's just the, what stone has in his documentary he had arranged to be off for work for jfk's visit valley an expert marksman was arrested with an uh, m1 rifle a handgun and three thousand rounds of ammo but there was uh the phone call to federal agents from a motel manager concerning what she saw in the room rented by two cuban nationals this is all all just cloudy, muddying the waters. Will we ever know? I don't know. I just, you know, Jackie was, um, Jackie the Joke Man, who's going to be with us in a, in a short bit. He was uh, a young man at the time. I'm going to see what his thoughts on this are. Now, I'm sure um, he, you know, he probably hasn't put in a lot of deep thought. He's not obsessed with it like Oliver Stone is. Um, but, you know, this is the... This is the seed of all the conspiracy theorists that exist today and that we are dealing with in America today because we don't know the truth and the feeling that our own government is involved in this by so many people and keeping the truth from us leads to moon landings being faked, ideas and all this kind of stuff, Uh, JFK assassination conspiracy theories. Uh, well, that's a whole Wikipedia page. We don't want Documents confirm the arrest of a suspect in plot to kill JFK. And this is about Valley, Thomas Valley. I don't know why I thought it was Valley. I must have been half asleep when I was watching this thing. Um, Tom, Thomas Arthur Valley was arrested by Chicago police on November 2nd, 1963, after notification uh, by Secret Service. Uh, what is it? Jackie's just texting me. What the hell is he saying now? Uh, 
Oh. Okay. He's just giving me some things he's going to want to put. Well, where are you, Jack? Come on. Uh, anyway, fascinating stuff. I can't wait to read the book. I really can't wait to read the book. Now, uh, Ian O'Connor seems to think that he knows uh, the answer here. He's, you know, and not involving the CIA. Or it seemed to indicate that it, he didn't think it was the uh, CIA had anything to do with it. Um, but hey, hey, maybe he's just trying to, you know, <laughs> not get himself killed. I don't know. At this point, I'd be willing to roll the dice. Most of those guys who were in the CIA in 1963 are probably dead. You would think. Listen, I'm almost dead. And I was a kid. I was four years old in 1963. I'm almost dead. So I would think anybody working for the CIA, at least at any significant level, would have, they'd probably be in their 90s at least now. Probably dead. Anyway, the book. It's called uh, the Pegasus Directive, and it will be out on the 21st of June. You can go to the website. The link is in the description. I'm going to take that. IanO'Connor.com. It's pretty simple. Uh, you'll know how to get there. Anyway, uh, Jackie is, is in the back now. I'm going to um, I'm going to make him wait just one second while I play a co another commercial, and uh, then we'll be right back while I take this ad, uh, this banner out too. <laughs> Over 2 million guitar players worldwide learn, practice, and play with TrueFight. Our learning tools and massive library of video lessons will ignite your technical skills, harmonic knowledge, rhythm playing, and soloing chops. TrueFire's educators are the best in the biz, from Grammy Award winners to world-renowned artists. You'll have access to an unparalleled faculty of over 300 top-notch blues, rock, jazz, country, fingerstyle, and acoustic guitar educators. Using our desktop and mobile apps, you'll work with TrueFire's multi-angle video lessons on any device, anytime, anywhere. Integrated learning tools such as video synced tab and notation, slow-mo, looping, practice jam tracks, and many more handy controls accelerate your learning experience. TrueFire's style-specific learning paths guide you every step of the way. Use our assessment tools to find your starting point, then follow our lesson recommendations and track your progress as you I want to learn how to play guitar. TrueFire study plan. Progress faster with private one-on-one -on -one instruction, group lessons, multi-track video jams, live streams, song lessons, student forums, TrueFire's riff magazine, premium jam tracks, and much, much more. With thousands of five-star ratings and reviews from amateur and pro players alike, you'll find yourself in good company with the world's most comprehensive guitar learning platform. Grab your guitar and ignite your musicality. Sign up free for an all-access trial today. Yeah. I learned to play on True Fire. Uh, Ian's saying fucking idiots when trying to learn how to play guitar. What do you mean by that, Ian? Uh, look at that little yellow icon on Twitch. I hate the fact that we're not on YouTube. 
uh, this week. It's killing me. And here's the thing. They banned me for spreading misinformation um, about COVID because of that crazy fucking lady, Patricia Corey. And she can sue me for saying that. She's fucking crazy. But for all the craziness that she said on, on the show I had her on, I pushed back on all the ridiculous, stupid, nonsense ideas that she came up with. And then I see Rogan and Theo Vaughn yesterday on YouTube talking about the shit with no pushback, saying the same kind of shit that she's saying. YouTube's got no problem with that. You know why? Because Rogan makes them $11 million a day, and I make them 11 cents a week. That's why. It has nothing to do with principles, nothing to do with spreading misinformation. It's like, who's... Yeah, fuck that guy who's only... And we'll make an example out of the guy who makes 11 cents a week. I make more than 11 cents a week. Sometimes 12, sometimes 13. Anyway, um, it's just really frustrating because it makes it hard for the audience to find us. We are on Gov's Network YouTube channel, but I don't know how many people are there and they can't participate in the chat because they're not on my channel. And my channel is... Um, Frozen for a week. Well, five more days. Anyway, I'll, I'll stop bitching about that. Jackie Harvey Oswald uh, is uh, suspected to be the killer of um, John F. Kennedy, and he's here with us now. Uh, what, it's funny how all these serial killers, again, all get a middle name. He was Lee Harvey, Lee Oswald his entire life. The minute he uh, is suspected of shooting Kennedy, they got to throw in the middle name. And this Thomas Valley, Thomas Valley guy all of a sudden gets arrested uh, for plotting to kill Kennedy and he becomes Thomas Arthur Valley. It's like, you know, the minute you become a, a crazy killer, they got to give you a, a middle name. So uh, Jackie Harvey Oswald is with us now. W welcome, uh, Mr. Oswald. I mean, uh, uh, <clears throat> my name is uh, John Coger Martlin. And, I, and uh, were you, uh, we, we hear that you wanted to shoot the president. No, uh, I actually was such a fan. I was actually in seventh grade and I was part of the President's Council for Youth Fitness and we did push-ups and chin-ups every day. And the whole tenor of the country was unbelievable. Everybody was so in love with that guy. And I came from a long line of Republicans and, and uh, you know, Nassau County was like the 49th state when it came to Republicans. But he was just so revered and, you know, Talk about the shot heard around the world. It really is true that everybody knows exactly not where they were, but what they were doing. I can still see the expression on the girl's face across the aisle from me in social studies in 10th grade. Because when they made the announcement over the intercom, this girl, Judy Cullum, looked over me, this heavy set black girl. She looked over and she had this big smile on her face. Because it sounded like somebody was, you know, usually the people that made the announcements were always screwing around in, in school, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was a whole, whole big heavy deal, you know. Um, but I'm glad you finally got the guy. So the actual killer just called in? Uh, well, no, no. The author of a book called The Pegasus Directive. This guy was a, uh Air Force uh, intelligence uh, guy who, you know, he thinks he knows. 
he thinks he knows. Well, but, I guess there was, there was no real big hurry in getting the book out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I said to him, you know, it's probably probably a better idea to wait till October to come out with the book because the 60th anniversary is coming up, and it would seem like that would be the best marketing. I book. got a problem with that. What? I got a problem with <clears throat> when horrible things happen, and it's a year later or 10 years later, to call it an anniversary has always bothered me. It's not a hey, it's the 10th anniversary of 9-11. It's not an anniversary. It's it, a marking of 10 years. But Jesus Christ, what are we going to do? Get out of hats and horns and cakes? Well, the, the meaning of anniversary is just a year a year later. It's not necessarily a celebration, is it? Yeah, but it's become a whole connotation. You know, our 10th anniversary... I mean, my ex-wife just celebrated our wooden anniversary. I wanted her to blow me, and she wouldn't. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> you so, know what? So you're telling me that I could even admit to the JFK killing because there's nobody listening to you today. I'm here to plug my gig. I got a gig on Staten Island at a new club. It's supposed to be really great. Called no. Max's Esca. I'm plugging it. Max's Esca on Staten Island on Richmond Road uh, this Friday, June 9th at 9 p.m. Right. And they and they kicked you off of YouTube. They kicked me off of YouTube, but we are on on Live 365. And you know what? Live 365 is is kicking ass as far as numbers go. So it, I wouldn't go as far as to say nobody is listening. People are listening. Well, not every, not as many people are watching. <laughs> but you know what? The visual audience was never huge anyway it's always it's always the uh, audio all audio. right if you're listening prove it to me send me an email jokeland at aol.com j-o-k-e-l-a-n-d at aol.com tell me that i did not waste my time on baldy's show and yes. I will send i will send you some jokes and we'll have a few laughs do that and uh here it is you got jokeland.com you have uh the tiktok uh thing tiktok.com slash at jackie martling and then you have uh uh the cameo uh stuff and the the gig is on staten island max's s-e-s hyphen ka i don't know what that what's that about somebody told me what it meant and and of course i forgot i think it means uh, coming home or something like that oh but put put my email address up there if you, it's too late to do that uh, I could do it. You know what? We'll we'll get to it. I will. I'll put it in one because I want to uh, play a, a piece by Laurie S. Uh, strikingly hilarious, and just for you to give her some feedback on her. She's a contributor to the show now. Uh, she's got a piece called uh, "Weirdful Wednesdays." I want to play that because uh, she's new to comedy and she's uh, trying out some bits. I just want to get your perspective on it. And I, you know, not not to be deep. You know, <laughs> You know I don't know anything. And when are you coming on our show? I can't be on your show. Vin, uh, Zinn told me I'm banned from the neighborhood. You I can't are come. Not, you are coming on our show. I don't care if we have to tie him up. You're coming on. You'll be a great <laughs> guest. We've been having so much fun. We had Tommy Chong on the other day. He was just so great. That, you know, that was. Did you know he's 85? Yeah, I, I'm good friends with Tommy. That's how you got him. I I, I basically uh, gave Mike his contact when Mike gave me your contact back a couple of years ago, and <laughs> so yeah, basically, uh, t- yeah, I I haven't talked to Tommy in a couple of about six <clears throat> months, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I want to get him and Chichon together. 
because they don't do the only time they do uh, appearances together is that they're weed conventions. Like they go to these, you know, warehouses. Right, right. <laughs> did you know? Did you know the Cheech and Chong were on together on the channel Channel Nine show, the Stern show, Channel? 9 oh yeah, show? yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? It was one of the classic episodes. It was, uh, it was the Christmas episode of 1990, and Howard was Mary on a donkey, and Cheech and Chong were Joseph, if you can wrap your head around that. <laughs> and in Manger, we had our producer buried in straw except for his head, and he was wearing his big, thick eyeglasses, and then we had a, the, ba uh, the, the body of a, of a baby doll, and he's in the, it, there's the doll's baby with his head with a big joint in his mouth, and the animals in the manger, we had a sheep and a donkey and an Italian organ grinder with a monkey. <laughs> I swear to God, I, I'm sure it's on YouTube. I got to go look for it. The, the <laughs> Channel 9 show, was that only in New York or was that syndicated? <clears throat> At the time, it was called a superstation, which meant it was on where it was on. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think it was on Atlanta and Denver. I mean, it was on a lot of places, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't across the board. You know, it, it was, it was a whole strange setup. You know, it was originally was Channel Nine, Secaucus, and it became a super station. But I, I don't know whether that lasted a year, five. I, I don't know. I know it was at least two years because we were on for two years. Right. That came, that was on at the same time that the VHS buck. But Bongo Fiesta came out because I remember I ordered that that Toby VHS. But Bongo Fiesta I think, came the following year after we were off of Channel Nine. Oh, maybe they were running repeats of it though, because I I remember we uh, maybe we just taped it. I don't know. My memory's so foggy. It could be anything. Uh, but yeah. So what? I got a question for you about on that regard. Was Stern ever a talker? <laughs> <clears throat> he said he smoked pot in high school uh in fact there was a, a, a scene in private parts where he was hiding in his room rolling a joint or hiding his pot or something and they wanted to use a Jimi hendrix song for that section of the movie and the hendrix estate would not let us use a hendrix song because they didn't want jimmy associated with drugs and that is the absolute true story. I mean, the guy died throwing up with full of heroin, and and you know it would have given his name a bad connotation. I'm not sure. I, <laughs> well, I'm not sure I ever heard anything funnier than that in my life. And I know no cast no aspersions to him, but Jesus Christmas, you know. Right. Well, I I'm not sure. Uh, I I think it would probably trying to get away from the connotation rather than worried about establishing a new connotation because right. that... <laughs> but wow no it's because you know i don't listen to stern and i haven't listened to stern but you know sometimes on youtube his clips come on before mine and uh he sounds like a guy who desperately needs to get stoned i don't know he's he, he, i yeah, I don't want to bash the guy, and I know you, you, you have your. In eighteen with years, him. in eighteen years on that show, I never, we never, me and him, or me, him, and Fred, or me, him, and Gary, and Fred, we never sat down and had a drink, had a beer, anything yeah. like that. I mean, we shared lots of meals and all that. And like the day I left the show, he started drinking wine. <laughs> uh, no, because I'm going to sit and have a drink with you, Matt. 
and we're going to have a few beers and we're going to get loose. And I'm going to say, Matt, you know, why don't you pay us a little better? You know, right. I'm not saying that's going to come up, but, you know, it certainly takes down a lot of walls. That's the whole idea of getting stoned, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he definitely seems, seems like a guy. Because the thing that got me thinking that was a clip with Artie when Artie kind of exposed himself as still being on heroin. And then Stern was trying to make him feel comfortable about that moment. And it just seemed like this guy What did really... he say? Like, yeah, I know how you feel. I, I took an aspirin last week. <laughs> no, he started to try to say, I know you're embarrassed. Let me tell you something that happened with me. And he starts talking about a, a piss in his pants and his, his uh, girlfriend, wife, whatever she was at the time, uh, alerting him to the fact that you got a piss stain on your pants. And it's like, really? This is you, you're trying to make a guy who just exposed to his <clears throat> whole family and everybody who's listening that he's still on heroin. All right, and... all right, all right. You know, <laughs> The good yeah. news is I got a text from Artie about a week ago saying, uh, responding to a text I had sent him months ago, just like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I've been laying low. I'm just trying to get it together. It's nice to hear from you. So he's he's up and running and knock on wood. I hope he's doing great. Trying to it's get really it together. I thought he had it together. I mean, not, less... no, try, not trying to get it together. Keep it together. You right. know what I mean? Like, like yeah. trying to stay, you know. <clears throat> so meanwhile, uh, there's a countdown. July 18th is the release date of my uh, documentary. July 18th. Well, so well. I don't know exactly how we're promoting it or what we're doing yet. I think we're going to have a lot of screenings, but there's nothing really doing. It's not like all of a sudden we're going to be at the Paramount in Manhattan. You know, it's like all of a sudden it's just going to be available uh, for on to stream. But that's a big deal because a lot of people are waiting on it. So I'm very excited about that. That's a Tuesday. It's a weird, you know, and... and did, did they give you a time? I think, I think, I it's been so long coming, but I think release dates are always Tuesdays when it comes to streaming. I think somebody told me that. Listen, I don't know any answers. All I know is it's been a long haul, and finally, the thing, you know, I'm so sick of it. After 10 years of people saying, where's the documentary? Finally, when they say, where's the documentary, I'll be able to say, Oh, you can get it on the Three Stooges channel. On, you know what I mean? Like, if I'll finally be able to have an answer. Right. Which is very exciting. That's, that's You know what? It seems to ring true because last week, Keith Lowell Jensen had his <laughs> streaming show uh, debut on a Tuesday. But that That's where I was going with this. So his was because the time zone stuff is always with these live streams and stuff time zones is this thing and he was he's on the west coast so it was 5 p.m. there 8 p.m. eastern time but 5 p.m. on the east i can't imagine anybody like sitting down at a computer to watch, be entertained at 5 p.m. that's dinner. no they got they got to be listening well listen <clears throat> this has got nothing to do with live all it's going to do is be available to be bought so ah. it's it's going to have nothing to do with live we're actually going to try a live show uh, stand up memories. We're going to do a live show on, I think, July 19th with a little little audience in there. I think I got to sneak you in. We're starting our fourth season, which means nothing because like, who knows where they start, where they stop. Right. I know nothing. But now, that would fun, be good to know? come in in disguise. I, I'll get like. <laughs> you know what you should do? You should get glasses and a big nose and a mustache. Hmm. I'll, I'll think about it. I'll see where I can find one. So oh. I thought of something the other day, speaking of releases and all this stuff, <clears throat> every time we had a new, we, Howard had a new product to promote, everybody I know would be like, oh, crap, we got to sit through weeks and weeks of Howard 
going on and on about the new video or the new pay-per-view or the new book because he would just just beat it to death. I can still hear it. Uh, 1852 Stern, 1852 Stern, and he just beat it up and beat it up. And Frank Zappa was booked to come on the show. And a couple days before, I shouldn't be laughing, a couple days before, and he was a huge fan. He was a huge fan of Howard's, and everybody knew it, and or at least they knew it. <clears throat> and a couple days before he's supposed to come on, he died. But his wife came on anyway. And when she sat down, I wrote this note and I don't, I thought I usually never hesitate, but I thought, no, yeah, yeah, no, no, yet. And I finally wrote the note and I put it up and Howard, the first thing he said to Zappa's brand new widow was, is it true that Frank's last words were, please call 1-800-52 And she laughed her ass off. Cause you had to have, sense of humor to be Frank Zappa's wife, you know. But what a ballsy, oh my God. And I, well, he, I give myself credit, but I give himself credit, I give him all the credit for saying it. Because that, you know, that's you don't it, know how somebody's going to take something. She could have got, she could have thrown the book at him and ran out of there. You know? the, yeah, I would have I wimped out on that. I would have had that idea maybe, but I would have never you know, finished it because I would, and I'm like that. I punk You know, out that's on one of those famous notes that I really should go find and frame and sell it to somebody because that's a, that's <laughs> a classic. That's no, a but classic. what what strikes me though is Zappa died of brain cancer, right? So he, he had to know he could have been dead and so he's booking the appearance knowing that I could be dead at any moment. I, I don't know any of the whys or wherefores, but I could see him booking the appearance even if he thought he was going to die right there on the show. I, don't, yeah. I mean, I didn't know the guy. I just knew of him. And I don't think there would have been anything <clears throat> too weird well, or uncalled for. You know? I just want to put this out there. If you're a celebrity who, who is dying of anything, please come on my show and die on my show. Because I, really, I, I could really use the rating boost, whatever I get out of that. So if you're, if you're planning on dying soon, let's... Do you, know, do you know the whole story of Park Your Carcass? No. You know who that is? Yeah. He was a famous uh, comedian in like the, the late, the, in the 40s, late 40s. 40s. Yeah, right. <clears throat> and his son was Super Dave, Super, you know, uh, Bob Einstein. And his other son was Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks, right. Whose real name was Albert Einstein. And Parky Carcass, <laughs> was th they were doing a roast. You could Google this. It's amazing. At the time, Tony Martin had the number one hit in the country, okay? And he was on the dais. I think Milton Berle was the MC. And the Parky Carcass got up and just brought down the house, just roasted the balls off of Lucy and Desi and sat down and dropped dead face first into his soup. And people, <laughs> at first they didn't know what was going on. And then they realized, and they literally, Milton Berle was literally yelling, is there a doctor in the house? And they tried to, but he was dead before his face hit the soup. And Milton Burl's freaking out. And he said, gee, what are you? He said, Tony, Tony, sing something. And at the time, Tony Martin's hit song, I swear this is true, was There's No Tomorrow. So he's lying there dead with his face in the soup. And Tony Martin stands up, There's No Tomorrow. <laughs> you could not make that up. You could not make, that's an absolute famous. 
died in the wool true friars tale. I can't believe I never heard that story before. That's classic. That oh, is. Oh, hey, son, you got to Google it and you know go on to Cliff Nesteroff. You know who that is, right? Yeah. Google Cliff Nesteroff and 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 do a search on Lucy and Desi Rose or Park Your Carcass. I gotta so find I out I, about that. Yeah. Oh, now that I, that makes me curious if you know this story because or even know about this. <laughs> Rich Walker, you know Rich Walker, who is Peter Bale's partner in stand-up yeah, universe. Yeah. He told me a story about a guy who was a stand-up comedian on Long Island who used to come out in a doctor's outfit like he was a surgeon. Play it like he was just coming from certain, like he was really a doctor. Uh, and that was his act was all about that. But he wasn't a doctor. He was just putting it on, wearing surgical stuff on stage. And he was at a show and a guy in the front row had a heart attack and right in front of him fell down and people were like waiting on him. <laughs> and is there a doctor in the house? And he just went like, not my specialty. <laughs> oh, Do you know about that guy? No, I, I, I can't believe I've never heard that, but that's a horrible story. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always wanted to find out more about that because, you know, it, it's a it's a good story. But I, Rich told me that in passing one day, and I haven't seen him since. Do you so. know that I, I, you're probably not old enough, but there was this show called Ben Casey. Ben Casey, I remember that. Okay. and Same time whatever, as Dr. Kildare. <laughs> yeah, and whatever, what was what was the guy's name, the actor that was Ben Casey? Oh, I could see his he's, face. He's real good looking, famous guy, and he was a hit at the Playboy Mansion, and he had to stop going to the Playboy Mansion because every five seconds, somebody come up and say, hey, you know, uh, my shoulder hurts when I do this, and he's like, I'm not a fucking doctor. I play a doctor on television, you morons. And he'd be inundated with people's, you know, you know, I think my golf swing is thrown off my, you know. Vince Edwards. Vince Edwards. Yeah. I, I, the poor guy, you know. Wow. He was so good at his job that it that destroyed him, you know. Yeah, and they have a picture of him. I can't show. Ah, damn it. Because I'm on a different computer here. But for, they have a picture of him as uh, Ben Casey. And then later in the 70s, he looked like, you know, Fat Elvis. <laughs> 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 what, what a metamorphosis, uh, all these guys. Uh, you know yeah. what I got? I got a picture, and I got to find it and send it to you. <clears throat> I was in Las Vegas driving along in either in a cab or coming from a gig. It was so funny. I did that. Penn and Teller had a show called uh, uh, Roaring Truths or some whatever, some, some kind of show they had in Vegas 20 or 30 years ago. And they came around to pick us up in a van. And I got in the van. And Henry Gibson was in the van. Remember laughing? Yeah, yeah. Henry, I was like, Henry, you know, like, I have no idea what his real name is. So I was so thrilled. I think that was, and we're driving along. And on, on the sidewalk, there was a couple posing with, with an Elvis impersonator. And the guy taking the picture was an Elvis impersonator. And I took a picture of it. I was like, if this doesn't tell the tale of what, there are so many Elvis impersonators. Excuse me, Elvis, would you catch a picture of me, us with Elvis? And they're right there. They say, hey, ladies and gentlemen, stand a little closer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love crap like that. I live for that. Elvis impersonators are the uh, origin of today's tribute bands. And I, I understood it 
in the Elvis day. When, but now we're seeing tribute bands to bands that are still out there performing. Like they're not dead. They're not even done with their career yet. Yeah, yeah, you know, they'll let the body get cold. The body isn't even in the ground yet. You know, <laughs> it's not even sick yet. <laughs> it's, it's such a weird thing. But they make they make great money. These tribute bands now in some cases outperforming i mean dollar wise the actual acts which is insane like you know especially well, billy joel billy joel is printing money and he always has but his it's, it's not a tribute band but the three me- original members of his band have a band called the lords of 52nd street and they are so good and the songs are so close to the originals i think that i think they're making pretty good money they at least they should so Liberty yeah. DeVito and Richie Cannata, and uh, I always get hung up on the last guy. Yeah, uh, I had I had Liberty on the show, and we talked about that, and he got pissed at me when I <laughs> I did a classic uh, malaprop. I said the Lords of Flatbush. We, uh, uh, <laughs> he said Lords of Flatbush. Yeah, I. I now was mixed. it you? Was it? No, it wasn't you. Liberty DeVito. I had the greatest story. Stop me if we, this was you. All right. Uh, we we had a, a Howard Stern uh, poker party at the Garden City Hotel. R- Dominic Barber bought food and and pot and booze and you know me and Howard and Fred not, whoever whoever the gang was probably eight of us played cards. It was so much fun. Dominic got a big suite, and we went to leave, <clears throat> and I saw the Billy Joel band loading it. I guess they had a couple nights who were going to play at the Nassau Coliseum, and I was like. I, I got to take advantage. I ran all the way home to Bayville, loaded two huge garbage bags. At the time, I had joke noses. You push the nose, it told a joke. And, and <laughs> CDs and all kinds. Because I know musicians love dirty jokes. I always knew that. And I brought back these two garbage bags and gave them to the girl or the boy at the desk. I said, make sure this gets into the hands of the guys from the Billy Joel band. They said, okay. <clears throat> Years later... A year later, five years later, we go to see Billy at the Nassau Coliseum and we're in the dressing room. Billy has his own dressing room, but we're with like uh, Russell Jabbers. That was the other guy. Russell Jabbers. Russell Jabbers and Liberty DeVito and whoever, whoever, they they probably, uh, Russell might not have been there, but Liberty was still part of the band. And he says, Jackie, I really got to thank you. He said, uh, a couple of years ago, you left all that crap for the guys. And he said, and that that little box where you push the nose and it tells a filthy joke. He says, my father was in assisted living. And the guys would all get together at a big table and sit there and have coffee or eat breakfast or eat lunch. He says, I gave that to him. He said, my father was a hero. They put that thing in the middle of the table and they'd push it and the jokes would play and they'd go berserk. And by the time I got to the end and started over, <laughs> They had no idea it was starting over. He said, forever. They were huge, huge fans. And I know it sounds like such a bullcrap story. I guess it wasn't you. Whoever I no, it was, story- it, it, it was me now. It, it, because Salvatore DeVito was the head of security for Broadlawn uh, Broad Manor, which was South Oaks Assisted Living uh, Program. My mom was his boss. So 
Oh, okay. So I'm sorry to repeat this. So, so it was. No, I, I, I. But I, that rubber stamped the story. It was like, wow, it was really true, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that story too because it caused an uproar. Uh, I think uh, Broadlawn Manor was a little bit out of control for like a whole day. My mom relayed that story to me like they, they were just the like. The jokes, that was so filthy. The jokes yeah. was. <laughs> That's that's pretty cool. That that <laughs> yeah. So you know, uh, Billy Joel's. I don't know if he's leaving Long Island. It, it, this is a problem. Now, not, so I, many know. times he was going to sell that place and move, and now the story is he wanted to have twelve horses on Center Island, and they were going to only let him have six. You know, they're mad about the helicopter pad. You know, it's just it's it's so stodgy, and you know the rich get what they want, but. Um, you know, nobody wants him. Everybody, it's every oyster bay's claim to fame that he's our guy. Right. You know? it's, it's like, <laughs> you, you, I, I mean, he's like a Long Island flag, really. Yeah, <laughs> he's down. He's down in this motorcycle shop, and he's buying a chintz hot dog, and he's, you know, he's just, he's just around, you know. Somebody I, said he had a press conference the other day. He said, "Hey, I'm a Jew. I'm going to go to Florida." And exactly. I think there's show. a law that uh, Jews, once they turn seventy, have to go to Florida. Right. Right. They, you have to eat lunch at four thirty. <laughs> dinner at four thirty. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know what? What's amazing to me because I saw again on YouTube. Uh, they. I hate to plug YouTube. Those fucking bastards. Um, <laughs> they. I saw a video on him about how he got ripped off for all this money, like his ex-wife and his ex-wife's brother, brother. Ripped, yeah. ripped him John, off for $90 million. $90 million, and he still got a house worth $50 million. That's incredible. I mean, somehow, so... Somehow they clawed back most of it. Wow. Some, it just I think, goes to... I think... I think it's more... I think it was like... Her brother stole it, but I think she had to do with getting it back. Elizabeth, I think, had it's. It was such a convoluted, crazy story. You know, you read all the time. Uh, Dean Martin's business ma manager stole all his money. I mean, I'm making that up, but the point right. is, the reason you have a business manager is so you can sing and drink and flirt with the girls. You're in show business. Somebody else is tending the tending to the bank account, so they have full access. And then all of a sudden, it's like. Where'd that guy go? I mean, it's not a new story. It happens time and time again. Right. You know, because if you have to watch it, what's the sense of having him in the first, you know? Did you ever have a, a money manager? Yes, me. Uh, I would take my money from my left pocket and put my right pocket. And when I was finally doing well enough that my right pocket was full, I got a bank account. See, I have now, a real... You know, I got a, I have a great, a great, great... Uh, uh, accountant who nancy brought with her. nancy used the account my ex-wife nancy used the accountant from kingdom sound in syosset that decades ago was a famous uh long island studio slash uh coke parlor and um and from from there we had the greatest accountant in the world and um he's always taken really good care but I've never had like somebody to manage them. You know, Nancy managed the money and she did great. You know, I hope she didn't fill up her sock, but I don't think she did. You know? Speaking of Nancy, she's got a song <laughs> on rotation on Mind Dog Radio called Someday. And I heard it when she was on the show and I liked it then, but it's grown on me. It's really fabulous. And it stands up against the greatest, you know, female pop singers ever. I, you know, I heard 
<clears throat> it was such a double-edged sword, Matt, because I was on the show, and anybody that knows the Stern show, the funnier I made him, the more they tore me apart to make me look worthwhile. I mean, not look worthwhile and make me look like a dunce because who would ever guess that I could have been helping him because I was the putz. And of course, I couldn't be married to anybody with any talent. So and they took my songs and destroyed them. But they made fun of her and made it like uh, she hooked up with Jackie because she had no talent and she just wanted to hang on. So as opposed to being part of the Stern Show, helping her, she would have been so much better off to have nothing to do with it because she was a, what not was, she is a great actress and a great songwriter and great singer. And it was just, to say something from that show was unfair. You could go, you know, go yeah. for saying how unfair it was. But, you know, they had a couple albums out and uh, uh, the Scoldies and the, you should hear the albums. The songs are very, very good, you know. No, yeah, and uh, the one that someday that is in rotation, I'm telling you, it's a beautiful song. Her voice is just... A really, really sweet sound. She sounds. I told her this when she was on the show. She sounds like she's seventeen, but I don't mean that as a insult in any way. She sounds very young and very relevant to today. But I heard her against Emmy Lou Harris one day, and then against Linda Ronstadt, you know, back to back, and like it holds up really well. So, well, know, that's great. Have you ever had her on this show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I didn't talk to her at all about the Stern stuff. I thought that would probably be, you know. Yeah, be, not about that, but like, I mean, about songwriting and stuff. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. She, she is interesting as hell, you know. Yeah, yeah. And she was the stage manager. <clears throat> I mean, the studio manager at Kingdom Sound, and you know, and you know, I I'm not gonna go into the whole cocaine thing and name names or stuff. You know, the first time that Phoebe Snow came on the Howard Stern show, she was sitting there. And she was so great, but she was so weird. She was all screwed up. And she's looking at me and look at me. And out of a clear blue sky in the middle of the interview, she goes, I know where I know you from. Me and the Billy Joel band used to sit there waiting for the setup at Kingdom Sound Studios and listen to your albums that was full of the filthy jokes. You're the funniest fucking guy, you know. Uh, it, was, it was so. It was almost like a paid advertisement, you know. I thought you were gonna say, "I know where I know you from." I was go, uh, scoring coke at that guy's house, and you, you were sitting, you well, were waiting to be next. I, avoid, I avoided that. <laughs> but, uh, now, the reason I asked you about if you ever had a money guy last night uh, came into some money that, and I'm worried because uh, I never, I'm not good with money. You and came just, in the money. <clears throat> yeah, now, well, well, you know, put it in the safest possible. You that's what I don't know. It. What what is the safest possible? Like a savings account is safe, but no, I, you know, it was it was U.S. Treasury bonds, but now who knows? You know, you know, yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you the number. Call my guy at Stifle, because Stifle is really, really solid. But meanwhile, who knows anything? I could wake up tomorrow and he'll stifle out of business. The guy moved to Saudi Arabia with all the money, you know. Yeah, my wife. But don't is... put it on your mattress. Call, call this guy. Call, call Jerry. I'll give. My you wife is a Bitcoin nut, and listen, she. Ah, she... oh. But she's done well with it. She started. I gave her a thousand dollars like three years ago. She it's now like forty five thousand dollars. She's got in Bitcoin. That and... she can put her. Can she put her hands on it? No. Well, that's what I always ask her. Like, why don't you take take some out? And she said it's such a, a process to get it out. It's a number 
<clears throat> it's a number on the internet or in an email. <clears throat> you know what the smartest thing Howard ever did? His grandfather was totally freaking, not Howard, his father. His grandfather was totally freaking out because he was very, very old and he was going to run out of money and it bothered him so much. And one day, Howard's father went and said, hey, Pop, we just had a really good turn in business. I can't believe it. He said, I just put a million dollars in your bank account. And he wrote it in and he showed him. And the old man lived happily ever after. All his father did was write the number in the bank account. It's, you know, it was all in his head. Right. He probably was never going to run out of money. I thought that was the smartest thing I ever heard. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? But like, if, until unless she's not hold, if she's not holding that money, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I mean, this is this is. I, listen, I can't really say what you just said, or else I will get my dick cut off while I'm sleeping. And you know, <laughs> I don't know anything. For all I know, it's going to double tomorrow, and she's going to walk away with a hundred grand cash, and you know. Well, that so it, it has just all disappeared or seemed to disappear a couple of times already. And it's like, you know what? Why don't you just take some of it out while it's big and then reinvest it in other things or whatever? But, you know, you know what? She has the same disease. Have her call me. When, <clears throat> when we were rolling, me and Nancy had a lot of money. And we had it in the stock market. And then AT&T split into Lucent. And just split three ways, and it the money was doubling and tripling. Infinity went to Westinghouse, went to CBS, and it was growing and growing and growing. And our, my stockbroker said, "Jackie, take some of it out. You know, take your investment out and put it in bonds, or or take out the profit." But you know, and I'm like, "What are you crazy? This is you know, this is one of those things where every penny you got is doubling. So you don't want to take any of it out." And all of a sudden, I'm not paying attention. And all of a sudden, the tech stocks crashed and the market cr And all of a sudden, what was millions and millions of dollars wasn't close to that. And he, he was like, no, I had Lucent. I had Lucent. It, it split up and I think I had $1,000 of Lucent. And two years later, it was $800,000. Wow. And I'm not paying attention. All of a sudden, you know, three months later, it was back to $20. <laughs> I wasn't watching. And I, why didn't you tell me to take some out? I did tell you to take it out. You know, you weren't listening, you know. You were still drinking at the time, right? <clears throat> and drinking and working and playing, you know, going 25, hour, 25 hours a day. And the money was rolling in and we just loading it into the stock market because it was in the 90s. You were printing money. You were printing money. Yeah. You know, Infinity stock went <clears throat> three for two, uh, two for one. Then Westinghouse, it doubled, and then it got back to infinity, and then it went to to CBS, and like, it was crazy. It was, yeah, and until, I had nothing to do. I was just sitting there holding on for dear life, you know. Yeah, the, the tech stocks were going insane during the mid '90s, and that was when people were getting rich, you know. I and I I had an opportunity to buy Google stock when it was a fucking dollar. <laughs> I I got a friend. <clears throat> an old friend who bought a ton of Amazon right off the bat. And, you know, when it went up so much, people were like, hey, dump it, man. No, I'm not dumping. Get rid of it. I'm, I won't even ask him what it's worth now. I won't yeah. even ask him because wow. I don't I don't want to hear it. Imagine original Amazon stock. I know. 
And there were always rumors that it was going to fail anyway because e-commerce was new. People didn't trust e-commerce. So people, there were always rumors that this is just a bubble stock. It's just going to get higher. Yeah, it was in no way a short thing whatsoever. No way a short thing, you know. And I, this is why I asked you about money, because I've never been good with money. I've never been good with money. I am the worst. I've made a lot of money in my life, and I have nothing to show for it. So when a big check comes in, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fucking blow that. I told my wife, she said, you know, what, what should we do? I was like, you know what? It, go, it, that much, it seems like a lot of money. I can tell you from past experience that it will be gone in six months, and you'll be like, what did we get out of it? We got a new bedroom <laughs> and that <clears throat> my finances are bad enough that blue bloods came to shoot here and what normally would have been a chip off the old block you know probably changed my lifestyle for a couple months you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah. yeah and there's a beauty to that when a little bit of money makes a big difference you know like <clears throat> i got cameo.com and i'll get like five of them for like 100 bucks 150 bucks whatever they are and Normally, I'd think, what a waste of time. And now it's like, wow, we're going to dinner the next three nights. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm I, exaggerating, but not a lot. How do, how do people, because it's weird. I see people who are not that famous who are on Cameo who have hyped high prices for it. And then I see people who are more famous have low prices for Cameo. How do you figure out? How do you? I, I only charge 75 bucks <clears throat> because, you know, I. Somebody comes and says, Jackie, uh, it's my father's birthday. He's been a fan since the mid-80s. And just tell him a couple jokes and wish him a happy 80th birthday. And I pick up, you know, I, I take out my iPad and say, hey, Charlie, happy birthday, you old fart. How you doing? This is your old friend, Jackie. Uh, email me, jokeland at AOL.com. I'll send you tons of dirty jokes. You stupid son never said how dirty to get. You know, I hope you can still get a hard on and, you know, I do two <laughs> or three minutes and send it off and, and boom, you know, I usually get, I get paid. A lot of times I get like a $50 tip where they tell their friends it's, and it's, I, <clears throat> what's sad is I enjoy it. I don't do that many gigs. So it's almost a gig. I'm sitting down in front of the computer and I'm telling jokes. I'm saying, look at me, I'm working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a cool thing. I enjoy that uh, too. Um, so the gig, and by the way, cameo.com slash Jackie Martling, and all the stuff will be in the description, but I know the people on the audio side, you know, it's good to say it, and I forget to say it enough. Yeah, 9 p.m., 9 p.m. this Friday night at Max's Escott. That's a, a, affiliated with Uncle Vinny's, right? Yeah, Uncle, Bill, Uncle Vinny's at Max's Escott on Richmond Road in Staten Island. One big show. It should be great fun. <clears throat> Staten Island is where the Martlings landed in 1675. Did That's you know good that? that you know that. That's amazing that you know that. Johan, Johan Martling uh, got a 40-acre land grant from the king, who uh, England had just taken over uh, New Amsterdam, and he got 40 acres, and we all were so proud of it until we found out that Johan Martling <clears throat> was the third guy that was given the land grant because the first two couple, the first two groups were completely wiped out by the Indians. Wow. They were just trying to get people to go over and settle, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, my, my ancestor was friends with the king. Bullshit. The king said, all right, they're dead too. Who's next, you know? Wait, wait the land he was given was in Manhattan or in Oyster Bay? 
No, Staten Island. Oh, Staten Island. Oh, Staten oh Island. yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I don't want to say, but you, come on. you would not believe uh, my ancestry. And you can look it up. Uh, Johan came and he had like nine kids, nine children. And one of his sons was Abraham. And Abraham had Abraham and Abraham. There were like three Abrahams. So it gets confusing. But one of them, Abraham Martling, wound up with a bar at the corner of Nassau and Spruce Street in Manhattan. And the back of the bar was called the Long Room. And that's where they met when they first formed Tammany Hall. Wow. My, my ancestor's bar, Martling's Tavern, was the first Tammany Hall. And then they built a place down the street and actually moved Tammany Hall <clears throat> to an actual hall. And you can see this on the internet. The sad part is, is there's a whole reason. It was a whole political thing. You know, they were drunks and crazy, you know. And uh, when Hamilton and Burr had their duel, after, after Hamilton was killed by Burr, they came back to Martling's Tavern and celebrated. So wow. that's, that's, that's not my favorite part of our history. And, and, uh, and, but- and then they went on to Tarrytown. And Abraham Martling was a blacksmith. I think it was his son was a blacksmith. And he had a son also named Abraham who was so skinny that he called him Bones. And the, the nickname for Abraham is Brom. And Washington Irving was good friends with Abraham Martling. So the character in Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Brom Bones, is based on Abraham Martling and his skinny son, Bones. And that's fact. That's crazy fact. For rock and roll aficionados, there it, Dion immortalized it in uh, uh, Abraham Martling and John. <laughs> that's a great idea. <laughs> I know it's not, I know you know, but the thing is, if you Google Brom Bones, you know, you see, oh, it's an amalgam of Abraham Martling and his son Bones. But you know, you got so many. Uh, of these uh, six degrees of separation with the Roosevelt family, with, <laughs> with that's crazy. Sleepy you know, that, that that didn't pan out, but I I'm not sure that it didn't for sure because yeah yeah uh, yeah I I I get all that and stuff. and whether or not we're related or not, my great grandfather you know ran Sagamore Hill for a couple of years and all his kids were up there and I got letters from Edith Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt so not Eleanor uh. Edith and uh, Ethel Roosevelt Derby, you know, they were very good friends with my grandmother. So, you know, there, there was a whole family connection, even if it wasn't by blood, you know. And I probably uh, drove past your house for on second grade trips to Sagamore Hill and third grade trips without even realizing I'm going past Jackie Martin. You drove, you know, <laughs> we were just talking about this the other day because <clears throat> my great uncle Len, Leonard W. Hall, was Eisenhower's campaign manager in 52 and 56. And Eisenhower was the first president that was elected on the strength of television advertising. Not in 52, they were still doing whistle stops on the trains, but by 1955, Eisenhower had two major heart attacks in 1955. He could have never, never gone out and campaigned but my uncle Len, they, they put ads on television. So Eisenhower won in a landslide both times. But each time he won, they would come down the route. You're talking about Route 106 to go to Sagamore Hill. And I could still, we're sitting right on our porch. I could still see Ike sitting up on the back of this Cadillac with the, 
with whoever was governor at the time and my uncle Len in the front and he's waving. You could have spit on him from what, you know, it was so close to my house. It was, it was very exciting. I was the president of the United States driving past your house. You imagine you're 19, I'm five years old. There's the president, you know. Yeah, I, I, I had the same thing with Nixon driving down Montauk Highway, drove past the right, because I live right around the corner from Montauk Highway. But, you actually, but you actually did spit on him. <laughs> yes, I actually did. Uh, let's take a one-minute break here, and and this is our Laurie, uh, strikingly hilarious. Laurie S. Strikingly hilarious uh, contribution to the show uh, this week. It's called Weirdful Wednesday. Hey. This is Lori S. Strikingly Hilarious with another episode of Weirdful Wednesdays, this time with a wedge of wonky. I believe in tipping. And can I just say as a nurse of almost 40 years now that I believe nurses should be tipped? When you're a nurse and people find out about it in public, they tell you things about their health. They tell me about their constipation. I say, that sounds hard. Sometimes patients have names that go with their ailments. Like Mrs. Cutbirth, she was in for her third C-section. Dusty Rhodes, she was having an asthma attack. Once we had a patient with amnesia who didn't know who she was. We called her Jane Doe. She had a yeast infection as well as patients having names that go with their ailments sometimes doctors have names that go with their specialties like dr huff and puff pulmonologist dr lovejoy i bet you can guess what her specialty is that's right cardiology and dr fingerhut he's a proctologist thanks that's all for now bye uh, <clears throat> Lori S. Is strikingly hilarious. Very I thought she was going to talk about Rabbi Kachakakoff. <laughs> she was cute. She was great. I didn't get the yeast infection one. Uh, oh, it, don't. Jane, no, don't. right. All right, Jackie. I, I apologize, Lori. Uh, strikingly. Well, she is, she's been in comedy less than six months. She's a, a nurse, a grandmother, and decided, uh, she went to a comedy club one night and said, you know, I could try this. And, uh, you know, good for her that she's, uh, I, I, I got to support anybody who's, you know, following their dreams and doing what they want to do. You, we, had a, we had a pair on the other day, and you probably know these people, Roseanne Sorrentino and her daughter, Oh, I should have looked. But it, she she decided to do comedy, and her daughter's doing comedy. And sometimes they're on the same show. She I think she was like either the original Annie on Broadway or one of the maybe Annie in the touring troupe. And wow, uh, she was so she's very cute. She's like you know, I don't want to say her age, but she's like you know, uh, she's like a high school principal now. But she was so cute and so bubbly, and her daughter, and they were just delightful. But they're. <clears throat> They're not brand new, but a couple of years, which in the grand scheme of comedy is pretty brand new, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's, it's great. So they go and they live and die, and how'd you do it tonight? Or you, you know, it's 
it's a pretty interesting thing to do. You know, I didn't, I don't think I ever had breakfast with my father, you know, right. they're doing comedy together, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that when I was talking to Klein, he was talking about when he first started, there was no such thing as a comedy club. And I, you know what? I think back to that's got to be because stand up comedy wasn't necessarily, a, you know, a, a profession. There were people who went up and told jokes, but it wasn't, you know, I think. I think the word stand-up has always been around, but I what I heard was it came from the Catskills. Uh, he's oh, no, it came from the mafia. Yeah, the stand-up. All oh, right. A, he's a Jersey, Jersey Shore. And, they, yeah, he's a stand-up guy, right? That, you know, it's, so, it's, so, it's so convoluted. But, yeah, it was such a big deal. I had nothing to do with it. But in the early 70s, all of a sudden, there was the Playboy clubs. And all of a sudden, you know, comedians had a place they could get a gig. Because there were yeah. lots of Playboy Club. Maybe that was the later seventies, but the, no, the, except for Cat, uh, the uh, the Improv was there early, and Pips before that. <clears throat> but you know, even Catch a Rising Star and the comic strip were later on, and and even the Comedy Store out there, you know that the, those weren't there forever. You know, the Comedy Store was uh, the Ceros. You know, you George, knew Bell, you knew Belzer, right? Yeah, yeah. When he passed, and this is what it, it really bothers me that that the younger generation or the new current generation of comedians don't know the history of comedy. Because when he passed, I was you know doing a little bit of a tribute to Richard Belzer and what he meant to you know stand up comedy in New York, especially. <clears throat> Nobody knew who he was. These comedians and they. <clears throat> Few of them knew who Klein was, and that is like, what the? But that's what I, you know, like by the 1960s, if it wasn't Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb, nobody knew who the the famous ball players were. You know, it's just a, you know, it's a thing with time. I I told you my whole story about having lunch with what's his face, uh, Will Jordan, right? We went to lunch with Will Jordan, who was the original Ed Sullivan impersonator. Like he did the original Ed Sullivan and everybody after him that did an impression of Ed Sullivan was doing an impression of his impression. Cause yeah. Ed Sullivan did none of the things, you know, really big shoe. He did none of that. And we went to, I took him to lunch at the Friars Club and me and this guy, David Friedman and Will just started talking. And for lunch, he had three shrimp. He ate two of them. Most of them were on the front of his shirt and he talked for an hour and a half <clears throat> but it was so interesting because he was going on and on and he was so brilliant because he was a technician with this, you know, he went to the actor's studio. There was so much to this guy, but he's telling stories and then he'd leave a story and go to another story, but somehow he'd circle back and finish it. But in his stories were all these names and some of the names were just famous enough that you and I would recognize them because they got above the high watermark. And other ones were people you never heard of. And it was going on, blah, 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 red buttons, blah, 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 Jack Carter, blah, 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 Shelby Meyerowitz, blah, 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 blah. You know, all of a sudden, the, the guys that you never heard of, but he's, but they were equals back when, you know. And it's what stays with people, you know, so great. Rodney, Rodney used to say, you know, no, nobody funnier than Shecky. Shecky's the funniest guy ever, funniest guy ever. But he never got that big because he didn't have an image. You know, I got no respect. Dean Martin, he drank. Benny was cheap. Shecky, he was just fucking funny. That's all he was, was fucking funny. <laughs> I don't know how much water, but it's really, it's kind of true. You know, yeah. like uh, 
something to hang your hat on, you know. Yeah, there's so many comedians from the '80s that you know the Letterman era, where where Letterman was having these guys on all the time that I remember, and none of you know. I'm not even a stand-up comedian. This is my problem. Delay people. I don't care if they don't remember these people, but if you're in the business, I think yeah, like it's a sin not to know the history of the craft that you're in. I will tell you one of the worst, the most eye-opening things, and. I'm not going to say who it was because the guy's a good friend of mine and a comic. I don't want to give away. He was a comic and then wasn't a comic and then he was a comic again. But at some point, probably 10 years ago, maybe even more, we were talking and the guy was from Philadelphia and I mentioned the Friars Club and he said, what's that? (laughs) And I'm like, but he, you know, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, if it's not being bandied about and it's not current, you know, there would be no reason. It's like somebody mentioned a Madonna song to me. I'm sure I'll go. I, I have no idea what, because I didn't care about, it. you know, if, if it's something that just went past you. But I agree, you know, if, if you're in, in, interested in something, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of actors that know everything about uh, show, I'm not sure, but I know everything about movies and the old stars, and I'm sure there's just as many actors that could give a flying ass about. Who yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Who, who, you know what I mean? It's, it's who you are. You know. Yeah, I I was doing uh, never got a dinner to somebody about a week and a half ago, and they were looking at me like I had four heads. I was like, red buttons. Well, that's, <laughs> that's even that's even a little narrow cast, you know. Because I see, I can see somebody even, you know. Uh, comic comics not knowing that but but it, it's you know i was surprised you didn't know park your carcass because in my mind especially you you're a storyteller and you know you're going to be telling that story for the rest of your life once oh you yeah i'm gonna know? i'm definitely gonna read about that that that's a classic story and, and i can't just, believe just the fact that a guy named park your carcass was a greek comedian and his sons were albert einstein which is albert brooks and super dave who knew they were brothers? You know what I mean? This, this, this. You, you scratch, no. you keep going. You know. I always knew they were brothers, and they grew up uh, across from Carl Reiner, right? Uh, and and right. They, so they spent all their, you know, all their time there. You know. Yeah, uh, Albert. I was just looking through all because I'm cleaning out my old my emails, and I have a, a an email from Albert Brooks that I got to get back to him because I was asking him to be on the show. This is the kind of balls I have. I'm going after Albert Brooks when I, you know, <laughs> nobody gets Albert Brooks on, on these kind of you shows. Know, you know, you just take a shot. I sent my albums blind to Howard. I sent jokes blind to Rodney Dangerfield. I wrote a letter to Gershon Legman, the famous joke collector in France. And they, like, they, you got nothing to lose but the postage, and and all of them opened up huge doors. I mean, you know, my ex girlfriend Emily Connor was involved in producing a play about Ann Richards called Ann. She was the governor of Texas, and she right. was larger in life, and she was great. And it was a one woman show with what's her face? Uh, I'll think of the girl's the woman's name. She wrote it, produced it, and acted in it, and. There's a, a famous guy who is writing the seven-volume uh, biography of Lyndon B. Johnson, and he's one of those talking heads that you you've seen the New York documentary, right? The eight, the yeah. eight. Uh, well, his name is oh, what's his name? Robert. 
uh, oh God, it'll come up to me. <clears throat> she said, you know, I'd really love for him to see this. And, you know, how would you go about finding him? And we tried to figure out who, who his publisher was, but of course they're going to guard him, you know. We looked in the yellow pages and got his number. She called up and said, Robert, you know, we're having the premiere of Ann. You know, it, it's right here at Lincoln Center and you I think you live a couple blocks. He was thrilled. He showed up with his wife. He was absolutely tickled. And then afterwards, the woman who did the play came up to him and said, you know, you gave me this idea eight years ago. You can't make that shit up. Like, right. wow. And he's he's sitting in the phone book, you know. Right. Until yeah, let... the day he passed away, you could call up Ed Asner and go to coffee with you. Where's my royalty check? Holland Taylor is the star. Holland Taylor, yeah. Man, she looks like Ann Richards. <laughs> yeah. She was so funny. You know, my family all had politically connected jobs. You know, my great uncle Len was uh, Eisenhower's campaign manager. He's national chairman of the Republican Party. So everybody in the family, you know. And there was a great line in the play. Uh, she lost her second, the second time she ran for governor, she lost. And one of her grandchildren said, Grandma, does this mean you're not going to have a job anymore? She says, no, honey. It means none of us are going to have a job anymore. It's a classic. Classic line. Oh, God. <laughs> so it's jokeland at AOL.com, right? Jokeland, J-O-K-E-L-A-N-D at AOL.com. All right. I will put that in the description. People write to Jackie so he, so he doesn't feel lonely because he's a very lonely man. Now, I'm a, a very lonely man. Uh, this sunburn thing that you sent me, sunburn cannabis, are you an official spokesman for this company? No, no. That, you know, you know. You deal with potheads. You know, I said, well, I guess I'm out of the running. They said, no, we haven't had the meeting yet. It was like two years ago, you know. Wow. I can tell you, I, I hosted the first High Times had an awards part, an awards dinner. Uh, they had an awards show called the Stonies. And I hosted <laughs> the first annual Stonies. And the way it worked is if there was a movie where somebody smoked a joint or even mentioned marijuana, that qualified them to be in the running. So it was amazing who was winning best movie and best album because they had nothing to do with pot except for maybe something minuscule. So I hosted the first annual Stonies. And four years later, four years later at B.B. King's, I hosted the second annual Stonies. <laughs> See, I mean, now that's not an anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> that tells the whole tale. Four years together, get, get it together again, you know. Yeah, wow. It's not annual. God damn. <laughs> it was supposed to be, but it wasn't. Now, you know? what's with uh, governors and brokerage? You're, you're kind of, that's uh, like your home base, and, and you, you're right? Brokerage? I, I try and work there when I can. You know, I just worked, uh, where did I work recently? I worked at the brokerage a couple of weeks ago, me and Peter Bales. Right. I and and I just man. love it. It's so fun. I just wrote to them and said, listen, I want to work McGuire's. I haven't worked there since before the pandemic. Um, but I, I started that club in 1981. I started governors, you know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's uh, a... but, uh, you know, they, I don't do two shows in a night, but it, it the business is so weird. I, I mean, I do a show at seven o'clock cause that's when my people come out. And then at, at eight o'clock on a, at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, the second show was a bringer show. 
with with comedians bringing people this is the headline show on saturday night it's it's got nothing to do with the club it's just they they want to get asses in the seats you know people just aren't going out that much you know i'm wondering because it's sick that's why i brought this up because you know the comedy club thing has been cyclical it it booms and then it it wanes and it booms it wanes and it see because lately i'm getting emails where they're giving away Friday and Saturday night free free admission. It's like, what's going on? They want people in there to eat and drink, you know. And but the problem is that you know, I, you know, I don't I don't have any proof, but I don't think they're paying the comics hardly anything. And the people are going, and you know, most so many people they go in, they see a couple of people get up and tell jokes, and that's a comedy show, right? Which is, I mean, back when I was running it. I mean, it was a full-scale production, and you know, you had to be what we thought was good, and but for a lot of people, it's just a night a night out, you know. And then they get like a headliner that people really want to see, and I'm sure that makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah, um, because you know, your it strikes me as weird because you were one of the first guys, not one of the first guys, but you were early and an early adopter of uh, getting merchandise even though you probably didn't call it merchandise albums and and things like that to sell but nobody actually took advantage of that at at like comedy clubs they didn't set up a table of a merch table and all that stuff today that's where the majority of your money comes from is i mean you get paid for the gig but a big part of it is having that merch table with i uh, i i started doing comedy uh, in my official start date is January 1979, and I had worked at a at a production studio, a, a music production studio, and so I learned how to make an album. So I made my first album. You know, I recorded it on cassette and transferred it to to uh, quarter inch and cut it up with the razor blade and collected money from a bunch of friends and sent the master tape and some pictures. And to Nashville, and I'm telling you, when those first thousand albums came into Port Authority, you would have thought I'd been made Pope. <clears throat> and I would be, I was the only guy for, not for, I'm talking about for years and years, I was the only guy, because nobody knew how to make a record or how to even approach it. I just happened to know. And uh, so here I am, at, and, and as people are leaving the club, and I'm selling my album, so I got this big album, so I'm autographing it and selling for five dollars a piece. And the guys are making fun of me. They're, look at Jackie with his stupid albums. Look at Jack, I took him to, with me to Florida, and people leaving the comic strip. <clears throat> they're on vacation in Fort Lauderdale. They go to a comic strip. They're walking out with the perfect souvenir. You know, it's the jokes the guy just told. And I'm making an extra, you know, 75 bucks a night. And the guys are making fun of me. And one day somebody's like, wait a minute. You know, he's yeah. walking out with an extra 75 bucks a night. Maybe he's not so stupid. But nobody ever caught it. And then I was doing, you know, the cassettes and the whole thing and the stuff to joke me. And, te- and very few people did that until when, when CDs hit. Then they were a lot easier to make and a lot easier people to do. Because you still have to have some technical expertise. Now you have to do thumb drives. (laughs) But there's no place to sign on a thumb drive. You 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 wouldn't believe all of my crap. Six CDs. That's that's almost five hours 
of solid, dirty jokes, all different, 150 insults, the pot song, the beer song, all, you said thumb drive, but they're all on sale for download for 20 bucks. Wow. It's oleo.com, because Oleo Records is the record company, O-G-L-I-O. I never promote this, oleo.com slash J. So it could not be easier. For 20 bucks, you get you can download enough jokes to get you cross country, you know. And, and they're so politically incorrect. Holy shit. Oleo.com. Yeah. Welcome to Oleo Entertainment. All right, I'll put this link in the description too. I I never even heard of this company. Wow. Yeah, he's great. Carl but, Carl Oleo is it. I want I, when you said Oleo. they would have thought I, I made Pope. Uh, I wanted to ask you what were your fucking little boys, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, um, but yeah. So the merch thing is big now, and it, it yeah. If they're making fun of you now, now everybody's doing that, and it's it's the only way to really supplement. It's the best way to really supplement your income because comedy has become so so really competitive that you know what you're up against so many people that, that yeah comedy you know the the business understands supply and demand and if there's so many supply of comedians they're not going to pay them less right you, you have, would not have believed at the height when i was really killing on the stern show you would not have believed because when they bought something from me, they didn't just get a Jackie souvenir. To them, they were getting a Howard Stern show souvenir. I would come in with so many bags, you would not have believed it. I'd have a bag of blue extra large Stump the Joke Man shirts, large blue extra, pink, blue, bright orange, all different bags of L and XL, stacks of CDs. I had all the stuff behind me and after the show, it was like, you know, when you see the stock market and the guys in the old days and they're all waving their money and they're waving the chair, the people would be jammed up there and I'm selling the stuff. I would go back to my hotel room, literally with my pockets packed. And there was no more fun than straightening out the 20s and the 50s. And I'd walk out of there with an extra 800 bucks, which was, you know, it was a trick to sell, you know, when you're just one guy collecting money and all those people gathered around. But my wow. God, and they and they all loved it. You know, I had a show. I'll send you a picture. I had a show where everybody was allowed in free if they wore their Stump the Joke Man T-shirt. Wow! And I, I'm I'm on I'm the stage at Rascals, and it's like forty people, and they're all wearing different color shirts. It, it's just, it was just so flattering. It was so fun. You know. Well, well don't take this the wrong way, <laughs> but I I do hope you play Maguire so I can take my wife to see you. My wife doesn't know who you are. But now, that, how's that taken the wrong way? Well, because she doesn't know who you are. I, I why, think would she, why would she know who I am? Because you're pretty famous. I mean, you're on the Stern show. I mean, I, I, most, I can, I've, she's the only person I, I know that doesn't know, at least know who you are, well, especially on Long Island. Keep, you're obviously keeping it from her because you're such a shallow, jealous No, friend. I bring you up all the time. Like, Jackie said this and Jackie said that, and she's like, Jackie who? I was like, Jackie Martling. And she looked at, but uh, to be fair, she didn't know who John Lennon was. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but no, I want to take her to see uh, uh, McGuire because uh, that's 
that I, you know she won't go to brokerage. That's too far for her. But uh, there's a All new right, comp- well, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell them that uh, that I I have a very good reason for booking McGuire's. Yeah, and or sticks and stones. Sticks and stones is in the Hamptons. Uh, it's gonna we're opening. I say where because I'm going to be part of the promotions and all that stuff. They're going to be a, a current sponsor and supply me with comedians on the show. Six and Stones Comedy Club in Southampton opening oh, this summer. Well, book me, will you? I definitely will. Absolutely will. Uh, yeah, that would be good. I mean, uh, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about the Southampton. There used to be a, a club out there, right? Out in the, there in the, was a club in Montauk. In the winter, the Montauk Comedy Club, we had so much fun. It was so far, and we drank so much. I have no idea why we're still alive. You try and find a girl to go home with just so you wouldn't have the death-defying drive home. You know? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Montauk is known as a uh, drinking village with a fishing problem. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Shag Wong, I think it's still there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, those skinny roads coming out of there, one way, one lane roads coming out of there, you would not want to be even the least buzzed trying to drive those roads in the middle Jeez. of the night. No lights on them. No, it's still the same. I'm just looking over Oglio and I'm impressed with the uh, amount of really good artists they have in here. In And I can't believe I've never heard of this company before. But. Oh, he's a, it, Carl is a great guy. You know, he, uh, he had a lot of George, what's his name? The, the Spanish guy, George Lopez, George Lopez. And he actually took Brian, uh, Brian Wilson around for a year when he, uh, the last thing he released, whatever it is, as Carl done has done tons of stuff. Wow. And he's, I, he, you know, he called me up and he said, I'm such a big fan of the Stern show. I know you have two CDs out. I would like to release your next CD on my label. And, release your two previous CDs on my label. And so he produced my album, Hot Dogs and Donuts. And me and Nancy had worked so hard for so long, but we did everything. We did everything. And one day I can remember, I remember where I was standing. We got something in the mail and opened it up. And it was a poster for Hot Dogs and Donuts that somebody else had done. And we were like, Wow. Could you imagine what it'd be like to do this with help? Right. It was like almost a foreign substance. Like, you know, Jackie's new CD. I thought it was like, whoa, man. It was like we died and went to heaven, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to say goodbye to Governors. Uh, Governors on YouTube. So, uh, bye, Governors, but fuck YouTube. And uh, Uh, now you're actually going to keep you off there. Yeah. Well, I the thing is, the people on YouTube can't uh, get in the chat room on uh, on Governor's YouTube can't be in our chat room, and I don't want to take traffic away from them because that's their incentive for having me on there is to get some <laughs> traffic for them. But they can't communicate back and forth to the guests, which is uh, I got to figure out a way that they can do that. Now, when you're on that, is Tony sitting there monitoring this? Yeah. <laughs> What is that bad? Well, sometimes it could be. <laughs> you know, it, it depends on what the subject matter is and where I go with it. And when I, I'm sure he just got upset about me asking what's with governors doing the uh, uh, free admission now. Like what? But you know, I, I want to know what this it's a weekend. Logical question. You know, people might say, "Wow, if it's free, does that mean it stinks?" You know, and that's that, not what it means. You know. Right. It, it, 
anytime you mention anything, you're only helping. You're not hurting. You know, the, the old adage, which is itself redundant, the adage, you know, there's no such thing as a, a bad advertising. You know, no such thing as bad press. That is, that's, it couldn't be more true, yeah. you know. Uh, this weekend at Brokerage, Brian Downey Jr., which uh, I talked about, <laughs> I talked about the crazy people always having a middle name. Lee I Harvey don't Oswald. think you, I don't think you got the right name. Brian Downey somebody Jr. Somebody Downey, somebody Downey Jr. Kevin Downey Jr. Oh yeah, it could be Kevin. Wait, maybe I thought it was Brian. Maybe, maybe yeah, you're right. But the the thing is. If, you know, I was talking about the crazy people with the middle names. If your name is Downey, you have to have a junior on it. You got Morton Downey Jr., Robert Downey Jr., Kevin, or I thought it was Brian. Kevin Downey Jr. this weekend. I mean, what's with that if, you do, if you're a Downey? Well, Robert Downey, the original Robert Downey was a very, very famous guy. Right, yeah. He did He did the movie Putney Swope. And he was so was famous. Morton Downey. The original Morton Downey was a He was uh, like a crooner, right? He, he was, was an opera singer, yeah. yeah. And Morton Downey Jr. was going to be a singer, too. He was like, he had a uh, a hit in the 50s, like one hit in the 50s or something, was going to be a singer, and then found himself as a, the big mouth asshole. Well, when he tried, to, I, the story I heard was when he tried to sing, that big pile of teeth would come flying out of his mouth so he couldn't sing. <laughs> I don't know about that. In the 50s? I don't know. He came to see me at Governor's, and he had such a good time. Talk about merchandise. He came up and handed me two $100 bills, and he said, give me one of everything. I said, wow. I don't want your money. He said, take my fucking money. I had a great time. You know, so, so we yeah. had fun. Me and him had fun, you know. He was an interesting guy because he grew up on, on uh, Martha's Vineyard, friends with the Kennedy family. He was good friends with Teddy Kenny, and then he became this right-wing kind of uh got you know very conservative voice but i think he was acting i think he was still a registered democrat and still friends with the kennedys the whole time he was doing that big mouth all all he was doing was trying to yeah, hey i'm over here that's all he was doing right you know and do you remember the thing that broke him was the uh, faking an attack on himself in a bathroom doing a, a tawana brawley uh bright and you can't, you know, if you try and tell somebody nowadays stories like that, they look at each other like you're making it up because so much crap happened. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. it's so fun. All the, all the craziness, you know. Speaking so, of craziness, guess who I'm having lunch with? Who? Robert Kennedy Jr. Oh, I was going to ask you about him before we wrap it up. This is a good place to go. Now, because I have I didn't believe he had a chance. Uh, when he first announced that he was interested in running for president, I thought... Of course I'm not having lunch with that fucking idiot. Oh, okay. Of course not. Okay. Well, He's got 20% is... of the vote. What Have people lost their fucking mind? I think he has a chance now. This He's is... a QAnon. I know that. I call him He's the Alex, Alex Jones up... Kennedy. His, <laughs> his father dug himself out of his grave and asked somebody to shoot him again. That's well, how embarrassed Bobby Kennedy is by. I agree. Son. Now, but this is this. Uh, when I first heard he was running, I I, I called him a, a Robert Q Kennedy Jr. because I think he is QAnon, and he hangs out with Alex Jones, and he's a. But the Republicans are are uh, flocking to him. The and the the Republicans who are, are sick of Trump 
are flocking to him. And I've seen a lot of Democrats who were, or were anti-vax Demo Democrats flocking to him because of that. I think he's got a fucking chance. You know, for whatever it's worth, that Kennedy name, you know, it's like Pope. You know, it just doesn't wear off. The whole thing, this anti-vax, the fucking vaccination saved millions and millions and millions of people. How these people can be so fucking ignorant and believe all the lies that, and now they just made, they just passed a law last week that you can lie on Google. You can say that the election was stolen. You can say right. whatever you want. They just said, all right, you know what? Have, have fun. But not on YouTube, because this is what got me banned from YouTube. This woman, Patricia Corey, in her book, the Hacking the God Code, she claimed uh, on my show that the vaccine included a chip that would invade your DNA and turn you into a robot, turn all of us into robots. And I was like, what, you is, know how what is wrong with people? <laughs> I have fucking no idea. I mean, well, they, I kind of alluded to it this morning before you were on with the with the Kennedy guy that the Kennedy assassination broke people in a way that was the root of all conspiracy theories because we we felt like the the government lied to us on that, and then that gave birth to like moon landing conspiracies and, and yeah, well, the old if, if they lied about that, they'll lie about anything type. Yeah, thing, you know. So, but the Kennedy thing, I do think he's got a chance, and and, and that really. But but the thing that really gets me, his father and his uncle must be saying, "Are you fucking stupid? <laughs> don't you don't you know there's a bullet waiting for you just because somebody might want to get famous or be part? You know." Yeah, like people looking at their watch saying, you know what, we're overdue for a Kennedy assassination. <laughs> yeah. you know? Right right around November of uh, of this year would be, uh, nah, I'm not calling for that. Please, uh, no, Secret no, Service. But, no, but I know what you're saying. Like any, you know. Somebody in his family's got to call him up and say, "Don't, don't, did you not pay attention when you were a kid?" <laughs> I mean, our family is not supposed to be president again. Jesus, you know. <laughs> they don't I, want us. I get so scared. I am so scared for everything, you know. But, but so, uh, uh, before we go, are you really having lunch with anybody today, or are you just, no, you just. <laughs> no, I'm going to see my dermatologist, and I'm going tonight to have uh, a lamb shank. Do, uh, do you ever go to a Greek restaurant and have lamb shank? No, I'm, it's I'm got not. A, it's got a very fancy name, but it is so unbelievable. I'm drooling as I'm sitting here saying. Nah, <laughs> I don't think so. I'm I'm not good. See, I'm not good with weird. With I stick to the food I know, and yeah, I'm but it's scared. not weird. It's just you know, it's a little bit marinated, but it's it's lamb. Do you like do you, lamb? Oh, it's so good. Do you eat venison, uh, deer? Nah, it's too. You know, it it runs around in my stomach. I don't. You know, no venison. Yeah. You know, there's a place called ah uh, ah uh, uh, It had dog in it. What was it? I maybe I told you about it already. It's a place in the city they have. Oh, kangaroo, yeah. It. Yeah. Kangaroo. Uh, uh, buff, kangaroo, buffalo, venison, rattlesnake. Um, stuff you've never heard of, you know. And uh, and they have all these things on the menu. And it was it was just so great. I mean, I... I, I think I tried to book a gig there once when you you were on to, and you told me about that place and I looked them up and they had live entertainment there. <laughs> I, I reached out to try and book a gig. 
have to look into that. But you know, Buffalo, I could, I could see it's kind of like, yeah, but it's a little, a little gamey, you know. But yeah. uh, I got Hang rabbits. On. I got three rabbits. You know, it's so funny. My cat passed away like a year ago, and we got three huge rabbits running around. They never got that big when Jake was around. You know, right. he'd bring in the tiny little rabbits with the heads chewed off, saying like, hey, you know, here's our, here's our uh, contribution for today. I was you a know. rabbit guy when I was in when I was a magician, and now I didn't use them. I didn't do the rabbit out of the hat stuff, but I became. I, I just had rabbits as pets. But getting attached to them, they die, so they don't last long. Rabbits. I was going to ask because these ones running around are huge, and I was like, I didn't know they lasted more than like a year or six. Oh months no, or... uh, like seven years is like the is like an old rabbit. A very, it's like a ninety nine year old rabbit. Oh, so these guys might be around a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they're only a year old, yeah, they probably still have five, five de decent years left in them. <laughs> I hope they don't eat my crop. I'll kill those little. Fuckers. Oh yeah, no. But you'll know, you'll know if they do, because they'll be stoned. Um, yeah, I had. I'll be, like, I'll be out there with a blunderbuss like Elmer Fudd. Remember yeah, they Houston? they do like pot. I can tell you that. Not that I never had growing pot, but I had rabbits get into my pot bag and eat an ounce of weed, and they were fucked up for about. More than a week. <laughs> and What's shit up, Doc? What's yeah. up, Doc? Yeah. yeah. You got them in the house or outdoors? No, no. But they're outdoors. But they disappear for a day, and then they show up, and then you look, and there's one, and then there's three. And they're Very hopping cool. around. You know, they have, a, they have a good old time, you know. Yeah, I, I and like imagine it's nice. You know, you come out from swimming, and the rabbit's in the yard. It's, it's rustic. I feel like Huckleberry Finn, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, before Jan, uh, July eighteenth, uh, come back and let's promote this uh, this documentary. That's I will make a point of it. Please email me, jokeland at aol .com. It's on the screen right now, jokeland at aol .com. And you people on the radio, send send Jackie an email so he knows that you're uh, listening and paying attention. I did and... get a couple of emails from some women, but they refused to tell me if they were young or old or cute. They just said they thought I was funny. So I said, you know what? We'll just leave it right there, you know. Yeah, I th that's enough for me. <laughs> and tell you, and tell tell Marjorie Morningstar, whatever her name was, that she was cute, that she was funny. Yeah. All right. I uh, Laura Laurie is strikingly hilarious. Now I, I got. I've been counseling her about this name. I think the name her her show business name is Laurie S. Strikingly hilarious. It's like that's too big for a marquee, man. That's tell gotta... her Laurie Striker. Yeah, that's Laurie Striker. Laurie uh, Striker. Where'd that come from? Well, I think I'm strikingly hilarious. All right. Know? She could yeah, even yeah. say that in her act. Right. And, cl and clear it all up. You don't, I, you don't want a name that you can't fit on a fucking, you know. I like that because in the 80s, I played one gig with a band called uh, Five Guys Named Mo, and it was a trio. And I was like, why are you guys Five Guys <laughs> Named Mo? He said, because everybody always asks about it. It's a, it's a good it's a good conversation starter. Why are you guys five? And so I named my band uh, CA3, the Carlos Allende Trio, when we were a four-piece, just so people could say, well, what's with And I just said, well, well, none of us will get it, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Les Paul. Les Paul had his guitar player, his rhythm player, and his stand-up bass player. And he called themselves the Les Paul Trio. And people were like, what the fuck are you doing? And he said, well, Nikki is a girl, so we're going to call us the Les Balls trio. That was his big joke. You know, he's so fucking funny. Oh, God. Well, thanks for getting up on a Wednesday. And uh, you're probably up anyway, but. 
uh, it's not like an early day for you. The people on no, the boat. nowadays, you know, I pop out of bed and go swimming even before my cup of tea in the morning. You know, Dylan Brody. Did you have you ever met Dylan Brody? Why would I know that name? He's a, a comedian, writer, um, and he, he was on the show last week, and I had him on for like three hours. It really cool, but he was because we were talking about uh, Carl Reiner before, and he's telling me about how you know his interactions with Carl Reiner and and uh, being part of that whole circle. I mean, it. I think it relatively famous but you know like like you not everybody knows him but most so. I, I would love to talk to him and hear from him you know I love to I love all the old shit and I love the old stories and the Friars Club is now completely defunct which is so sad yeah. and uh, you know but, but I love hearing stories about Carl Reiner and that you know that group and which did is you, why I... did you listen to Mel Brooks book no no you got it. my friend Eddie uh, did it with Mel um and Mel reads it himself. So just get the audio version of the new Mel Brooks autobiography. Yeah, it's yeah, great yeah. Fun. I, I definitely want to check that out. And, and yeah, all all those that group, the uh, what was the movie they they came out my favorite year or something like that that was based on that whole uh, yeah my favorite year and then laughter on the twenty third floor. But my favorite year that was our Channel Nine show. That yeah. kid, that writer, that was that was our lives. I just I love that fucking movie, you know. You know everything going haywire, just fucking wonderful. Yeah, I love you know? that stuff too. Well, thanks. Uh, I, I'm going to say goodbye here and, and get off the air because I got I got shit to do. Oh really? Please. <laughs> well, all I got all I got to say to that is me neither. Well, I have to find an accountant, I, or I have to I have to find out how i'm not gonna blow money that i do you want me to do you want me to send you my stockbroker's name yeah please i am gonna I'll, look I'll, around i'm gonna invest and investigate every possible uh thing i can do to try to avoid blowing money and wasting it it's not for me mind you i know i just want to make sure that i'm when i'm dead in five years that my wife has still some of the money not that she won't be destitute. Well, let her out of the house so she'll know who somebody is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday I played at her. She's a nurse, and she uh, she works in uh, assisted living out here. And I played in her the nursing home that's affiliated with her that she used to be the boss of. And uh, you know, I was it's people who love her over there. And and uh, you know what? She's a very uh, very special person, but not to me. <laughs> I know, I know. They, I know. She can be an angel. Then I, I, I said this to Lori S. when she was on the show because she's a nurse. I said, you know, nurses can be very, uh, like loving and caring, but not to the people that <laughs> that in their family. Everybody in my life, everybody in my life. You got the greatest mother. She's so smart. She's so friendly. She's so fun. And I always said, fucking take her. <laughs> She's all yours. You know? So yeah, especially if you're young, relatively young, and have money. Uh, as soon as I die, come in and take care of my wife for me. Thank you. Anyway. you no, know, but everything is perspective. I when I was first starting comedy, and I had this very young girlfriend who was very pretty, and she was really, you know, she was very cool. And it turned out she was cheating on me with the fucking Cleveland Browns. I mean, who knew? Because I'm running around doing comedy, but we get together for a dinner party with our friends. 
And I'd be in a couple of beers. I'm the life of a party, you know. And meanwhile, I'm trying to be a comic, and I'm beating my head against the wall. And that's the side that she sees, you know. So yeah. we, you know, we'd be at a party, and and somebody'd come up and say, "Oh, that must be so fun living with Jackie." And she'd go, "Take him for a week." <laughs> <laughs> I think I said that you know to Nancy. I think I said that to Nancy. I was like, how could, I mean, everybody loves Jackie, but 24-7, she said, well, he's not on like that (laughs) 24-7. Because, you know, that would drive me, like, the laugh alone 24-7 would. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, like, I walk in the door, it's like, leave your laugh laugh on a hook, you know? Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, uh, be well and come back uh, before the uh, documentary comes out, and we'll talk to you soon. Good luck this weekend. And call call Jerry. He'll give you, if if nothing else, he'll give you some advice. Yeah, and uh, May Pang is coming on the show in uh, September, so thank you for that. That will be be interesting. That's great. Give her my best. Okay. See you later. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Jackie, uh... Jack, what Jackie? Well, I'm lost. Lee Harvey, Jackie Harvey Oswald, Jackie Harvey Martling, uh, or Abraham Martling and John, or one of those serial killers. Uh, great stuff there. Every I always love talking to Jackie, and I know you all love him when he's on the show. Uh, that is the show for today. I got I do have things to do. I really have business stuff to take care of. So write to him so he doesn't feel. I don't know, neglected, uh, ignored, and, or feels like he's wasting his time being on this program. Uh, so let him know that you've been listening and enjoy the stuff and ask him to tell you a couple of jokes. Anyway, that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow, Rob White, uh, who is a local comedian who is everywhere on Long Island right now performing comedy. Uh, he's also a great tattoo artist. Uh, he will be with me. Um, Wow, I'm drawing. I'm having senior moments here, folks. Uh, Danny Lake, who was supposed to also be on the show in the second hour tomorrow, has got some issues health-wise and has to uh, bow out. He won't be with me tomorrow, so we'll have a a hour show or an hour a little more than an hour show with Rob White tomorrow, and uh, that's the show for today. And then Stephen Marcus Relliford, who was supposed to be on Friday, will not be with us on Friday because. He wanted, morning is difficult for him. And even though he booked it, he um, he wanted me to tape the show. And I'm like, you don't understand. It's live. It's like a radio show. You wouldn't, call, if you're going to be on Howard Stern, and listen, I know I'm not Howard Stern. You wouldn't ask Howard Stern to do his show in the afternoon just for you, especially if you're not a star. But I'm getting a lot of this from comedians. Like, can we do it at five o'clock in the afternoon? <laughs> No, the show is live 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. daily. If you can't do that, don't book. But don't expect me to do my show at a different time. That's crazy. You wouldn't do that to anybody else. Uh, Maybe it's because they think of this as a podcast, but it's not a podcast. It's a radio show first, a live stream show first, and a podcast show as a secondary uh, distribution of the content. Think of it that way. Or don't even think of it as a podcast at all. It's not a podcast. It's a radio show. It's uh, on streaming radio and streaming video. Anyway, that's the show for today. I said that already, didn't I? So the only thing left to say, really, is turn on your radio. Bye for now.
to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.